Greetings, fellow travelers. Welcome to the 37th level of the RPG Cave. I am one of your hosts, the level 99 human archmage, Ryan Turford, and I'm joined, as always, by the level 99 elf medic, Mr. Garrett Bland. Garrett, how are you doing this lovely, lovely Monday evening? Probably second cup of coffee list, right? Uh, oh, actually, yes. I had two lattes today. It was pretty good. Um, but no, no drink on me right now. I, I am drinked out. No. Yeah. Sorry, guys. What, what are you going to do when we get like an hour into this riveting conversation, Gary? You're, you're going to have this parched throat. And you're not going to be able to speak. Like, what, what are you going to do then? I'm going to be dehydrated. I, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll, we'll see when we get there, though. God, the Schick Hydropot <laughs> would be like so disappointed in you right now, Garrett. I, let me tell you what. <laughs> but anyways, this is the RPG game where we talk about RPGs all the time, except for when the Schick Hydropot decides to invade our world. So let's clear the dungeon Drink of these water. pesky mobs, of course. So folks at home, if you want to support this show, there's a number of awesome ways to do that. Number one, subscribe to us on your podcast feed of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We're on all the places you find podcasts. So check us out there. Maybe, you know, leave a little rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. Maybe maybe leave an Apple Podcast review. Give us five stars over there. You know, all that stuff helps the show get discovered. Also, if you want to see our beautiful faces every single week, head over to YouTube, youtube.com slash We put up a video version of the show over there. And of course, like, subscribe, share, binge, ding, 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 ring that bell. Because again, that's what people tell you to do on YouTube. And again, it helps the channel. And then last but not least, of course, if you want to support the show and you want the show a little bit early, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Capri. Get early access to this and all of our shows as well as some exclusive content over there. So go ahead and check this out. Now, Garrett, before we get yes. into today's topic, we got, yes. we got, we of course put out questions this week for, for the show, but we got this, yes, we did. this ang- slightly uh, irate response from one mm. Sean Capri. Um, Never heard of him. I feel like we need to, we need to tackle this before we get into the big topic. So Sean Capri okay. over on Sean Capri asked the question, Hey, I have a question. How do you sleep at night after broadcasting such slander against fire emblem fates on the last episode? Follow up question. How can you expect the audience to trust you? After the slander you broadcasted about Fire Emblem. So mm. I just want the record to show, really? Sean, that we gave two of the three Fire Emblem Fates games an S rank and an A rank. So right. I don't know where the slander is. Besides, I guess maybe you're angry that we didn't like Birthright, but Birthright's just too easy, man. And it's definitely all Bir- like Birthright's just okay. Yeah. It's okay. Like, it, like if it's you're arguing that. that it's more than okay, I think you're maybe on the wrong side of history with, with this one, at yeah, least yeah. in comparison to all the other Fire Emblem games. Because again, we had, when we were kind of putting that together and we, we said this on the episode too, it was like, in comparison to the other games on that list, where does Fire Emblem uh, Fate's birthright, you know, fit on that list? And for me, it right. definitely is a C-ranking where it's like, it's fine. It exists, but it, but is it better than and you can play it? But is it but is it better than you know bravely default on the B tier? No, of course it's not. So that's why it belongs on the on on the C tier. That's just how I feel about it. I, I totally agree with you. And how do you sleep at night, Sean? I I sleep just fine. Yeah. Like that that fire emblem. Like if you give me a fire emblem like tier list, that would be the same type of list I would make. Birthright is just kind of. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, I'm sure if you get into it, it's great. But like, is it compared to like Fire Emblem Awakening? Yeah. From and then, you know, Fire Emblem Shadow of Valencia. I, I, I love that personally, like a lot more. So sorry, yeah. bud. Got to put you down somewhere, Sean. Yeah. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> 
But uh, but yeah, we had okay. to read that, of course, but after after last week's show. But but also we ha- <laughs> had like some fun responses uh, to that show. So I want to say thanks to everyone who who actually let us know in the Discord that they actually liked that episode, and uh, that was a lot of fun to do. And you can expect maybe mm-hmm. we do more of that stuff in the future because oh tier- for sure I think I like doing tier lists. They're fun. So there we go. Plus the internet likes them, Karen, and that's that's all we care about. But enough about tier lists and all that junk. Let's read from the sacred texts because it's time yes. to talk about today's topic. And uh, today's topic is going to be a fun one, folks, because we're going to talk about what could possibly be the oldest company that we've talked about on yes. this entire <laughs> run uh, of company shows that we've done. Very we're talking much about so. Neon Falcom today and... Uh, we're going to just go straight into fun facts because Garrett, you've lined okay, up yeah. the fun facts this week. So yes. hit me with the fun facts, my friend. Yes, dude. Uh, did you know about Neon Falcon? Like the history behind this, this studio beforehand? Like I, I kind of knew they were like, um, one of those, like, I wouldn't say like super high famous or whatever studio, but like kind of behind the scenes still in, really in japan culture as i so i'm just curious ryan did did you know like when i was searching up stuff about about Mm -hmm. neon falcon i was just like blown away so ryan did you know about all of this history i didn't know about everything i knew about some stuff because i've actually played you know some of their you know nes games for example because okay i mean neon falcon actually did a lot of like nes era games they also did a lot of stuff for turbo graphics 16 so if you know anything about they the TurboGrafx-16, they did a lot of games there, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But then they also did a lot of stuff that didn't come out here as well. So, I mean, that, yes, that's a lot, a of, the lot stuff of that Japanese I just, only. That's a lot of the stuff that I just don't know about. But okay, um, I, I, I've, <laughs> Falcom's a name that I've known about for years, but it's just one of those mm-hmm. things where I never really did like a historical deep dive on them before. So, yeah. yes. So I did a deep dive into their history. And let me tell you guys, they, I, I was actually surprised that they're kind of like one of probably the oldest video game companies ever, Mm -hmm. like to, to really start. Um, this company was founded in March, 1981 by Masayuki Kato, making them one of the most oldest active video game companies. Um, and so the company, um, basically when they were starting out, um, they had the advantage of like pixel art. So they had a lot of um, definitely in relation to just the art style, but also as time progressed, they really focused more on story than 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 graphics themselves. That's why they're a small group of people mm-hmm. uh, still. They're still at around as of 2019, 62 employees. They were founded in 1981 and they're still pretty small. Yeah. Um, they don't put the man like a lot of time into graphics, but more geared towards story into their JRPGs. And so that's what their founder said is like when we knew when we get a writer that knows a lot of good stories and able to build knowledge over time. And that is kind of the legacy of Nihon Falcom. You're going to hear a lot about these games. They're going to be spinoffs. They're going to be sequels from from one series to the next. Um, Make them. Yeah, they're they're pretty much a a legend in terms of just story writing Mm -hmm. and just connections between their games, which is interesting to hear, Um, too, because like most game companies back then weren't even thinking about stories in games because 1981 was was when we had, you know, games on Atari 2600 where that console Mm -hmm. couldn't wasn't powerful enough to really tell compelling stories. Like you didn't really have um, anything like that. You, you had some RPGs on that console. um, Like, um, uh, like 
not Dragon Quest. It's like um, well, like roguelike, tr- you yeah. know, you got, you got rogue. That's true. Basically. Yeah. You had stuff um, like uh treasure master and a bunch of other stuff like mm-hmm. sword quest, um, which, which it, there's a really funny story attached to sword quest and kind of the contest <laughs> that was, that went ahead along with that. But uh, yeah, there was stuff like that mm-hmm. on the Atari, but there was nothing that was really like telling stories or anything like that. Right. In fact, like the very first game I ever remember uh, having like cinematics in it and telling a story in a video game uh, was Ninja Gaiden on the NES because it had these like mm-hmm. uh, cinematics in the game with, you know, text and everything. Um, the characters were talking to each other and it was really trying to tell you the story about this, mm-hmm. you know, ancient demon st- statue and all this other mm-hmm. stuff that was going on. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear that the a company was so forward thinking, thinking about the story. I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So I, I was trying to go through a little bit of the beginning of their games and it looks like they were ports mm-hmm. um, of some kind. I, I saw one game named Private Stripper. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, they were definitely in like the porting scene or just trying to make whatever quick buck. Um, yeah. But they so they mainly focus, as you said, on Atari, but they mainly focus on PC. Mm-hmm. PC 8801 is like one of their primary systems when they were developing their games. Um, and so, yeah, um, basically they became one of the most influential Japanese video game companies in that era, along with Square and Enix. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty darn close to that. Um, but what really set them on the map, really the first um, kind of game that's like a template for action RPGs in general is this uh, role-playing game that they made in 1983 for the PC-8801 called Panorama To in Japan and Japanese, but also it's called Panorama Island. Is that? Yes. Um, created by Yoshio Kia, and who went on to create the other future franchises that we're going to talk about. Um, and so basically this game was, you know, it was a hex grid. It was kind of a dungeon crawl like RPG, but what really set it apart was the real time combat Mm -hmm. that was in this game that was separate from the other turn-based or other kind of dungeon crawling type of games that, that were there at the time. And so this is what Falcom was being later known for is their action RPG formula. So Panorama Island. Ryan, have you ever heard of this game? Have nope. you ever? It's a, it's a Japanese-only yeah. PC game, Garrett. <laughs> I, I, it's one that's I'm kind of stayed saying. out of my wheelhouse. So, yeah, I've, I didn't mm-hmm. really look up much much info about this one. How, how does this one play anyways? Do you know? Um, I kind of try to look into it in the gameplay. It is like a hex grid in a sense, so this still has a little bit of like um, kind of turn-based combat involved, but it is real time. Okay. And then there's also like introduced like real time mechanics such as sci-fi elements. And then also like a persistent open world with day night cycle and survival mechanics. Jesus. It's one of the first games that have dialogue with NPCs. You're able to have choices in between like, you know, giving them money or like shooting them or anything along the lines of that. Like this is one of the first games that had those systems in there. And it's arguably probably the template going forward what an action RPG is. When a developer was making a game mm-hmm. that wants to be an action RPG, they go back to this game, Panorama yeah. Island. Yeah, it's, it sounds like they go between that or or something like Gauntlet at the time, where Gauntlet, yes, is more mm-hmm. of an arcade game, um, but it was also an action RPG, but it was very much like what inspired stuff like Diablo, like a dungeon crawling game, yes. versus something like this, which more inspired, um, you know, stuff like, 
um, Crystalis or um, a bunch of other, you know, action RPGs that came out around this mm-hmm. time era, like stuff like Popful Mail and other games like that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was their like first big hit was this Panorama Island. Of course, yes, Japan only. Um, but then they went on to create kind of an evolution from that game. They're legendary franchises. And I'm going to go through three of them. There's more and there's a ton of spinoffs. <laughs> Let me tell you, when I was going to the list, Ryan, mm-hmm. like it, it could be more than Square Enix, Final Fantasy. It could be more than Dragon, like like Square Enix, the company in general with Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. It's yeah. like no joke. How the many only company that that beat this was from software when we talked about that oh wow <laughs> yeah because if you don't remember That's it was like insane. almost like 70 games <laughs> yeah they they went through it quite a bit all right so the three flagship franchises that we're going to talk about first is dragon slayer series mm-hmm. that spurred off these other two franchises the legend of heroes and the east series um so the original dragon slayer um, was responsible for setting the template again. Like it was another evolution from Panorama Tower Island um, of an action RPG. Um, it kind of, kind of like evolution, like from you know like dungeon crawling or turn based, like medieval like games, and mm-hmm. then like transferred into um, an action RPG. It spoke multiple sequels and iterations. It released in 1984, and. There, I, I forgot. I, I didn't count how many Dragon Slayer games there are, mm-hmm. um, but I will go through hand select a few of them that actually spurred in the other franchises. Mm-hmm. And the latest one that's really connected the, to the Dragon Slayer series you may have heard of is Tokyo Xanadu. Okay. Um, yeah, that one was a spinoff from Dragon Slayer 2 Xanadu. And Xanadu is its own little kind of sub series as well. Um, and so, yeah, in contrast to earlier roguelikes, it was a dungeon crawl RPG with entirely real-time action-oriented combat. Uh, it featured an in-game map, um, helped with dungeon crawling, and it required item management. Mm-hmm. One item at a time, and it's an item-based, item-based puzzle game that influences legendary franchises like The Legend of Zelda. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Dragon Slayer was, it was a huge hit in Japan. And actually, the second one um, at the time was probably one of the best-selling PC games in Japan. Around four hundred thousand copies sold for that second game. Nice. Um, Yeah, it sounds like they could really like harness the power of the PC because, like, one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why we didn't see a lot of those features that you described in stuff like Zelda or other console releases at the time was just the NES couldn't do a lot of that stuff. Like we we saw. Um, PC ports of uh, coming to NES all the time with stuff like Hydlide or uh, Ultima um, mm-hmm. where they essentially had like the PC interface in the NES itself but like mm-hmm. Hydlide for example had like a save function and a load function like a PC would but when you hit the save function in Hydlide nothing happens because then you have to go to a separate option in the menu that says password and it gives you the password and then you write that password <laughs> down and then you go to load and then when you select the load command you then put in the password it gives you so instead of you know writing it to your computer like a game like dragon slayer would have done on like the msx pc for example which is the right. same same computer japanese computer that the the metal gear games actually started out on um instead you had uh like that's why we didn't see stuff like this on nes 
Um, just because again, there was so many more limitations mm-hmm. to the hardware that, that, that just right. consoles just didn't have versus PCs at the time. And we just didn't here in North America, you know, PCs gaming wasn't, you know what it is now. Like people played right. some games on PC, but like it was a much more niche thing than it is nowadays. Um, and, Very and, niche, yeah. and that's why like, um, for the most part, that's why I compare it so much to console releases. Cause as someone who grew up during that time frame, like that's what we were thinking about. That's what, what was on the top of our minds were console games mm-hmm. because, you know, again, most of us didn't play games on PC on like our, our five and a half inch floppy disks or whatever, especially games like this. That's why most <laughs> of these stayed in Japan because it's weird to see that contrast where it was almost like the reverse where in Japan, like mm-hmm. I think PC gaming was just so much more popular earlier on versus mm-hmm. versus uh, consoles were here anyways. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Hydelide, and they do mention a lot that that's one of their major competitors in the RPG field was was that company in that game. Um, did you ever play this series, any of its games? Because I know it's been ported to the Sega Master System mm-hmm. and other Sega systems and also in some Nintendo. And I, I'm not sure about PlayStation. I think they kind of died down uh, until around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm interested. Do you have any history with the Dragon Slayer series? Literally, literally none. I think out of all, wow. all the three series on here, I, that's the one I just haven't played any of them because of the kind of the accessibility thing. Um, for example, yeah. Sega Master System. I didn't even have the ability to play Sega Master System games until, you know, last year. Um, and got I know it. that's where where we ha- we also got ports of Ease and some other games, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so mm-hmm. I know that there have been some ports to those consoles, but um, because I didn't play them at the time, it's just one of those things where a- an accessibility thing kind of, you know, prevented me from checking a lot of these out. I mean, and, they, and to be fair, mm-hmm. they haven't, they've never really been at the top of the, my list either to check out because again, it's just one of those things mm-hmm. where it's, it, it's awesome to hear that it, it's kind of the beginning of the action RPG genre, but at the same time, you know, I've never thought to really sought this, seek these out if that makes any sense, especially because okay. these mostly no, are more popular good. in Japan versus North America. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah for the most part. And I even, never really heard of dragon slayer series so that that's you know telling that you know it wasn't that really popular with us or or in in or here in the north america i am interested to hear other people if they ever played this series because um, it is definitely like um kind of the birth of these other franchises we're going to be talking about and so the next one i would like to get into ryan is the yeast series yes um the f- so the first installment was set is in 1987 mm-hmm. on again the PC 8801 in Japan. Um, it was called a lot of things in in English, but we'll just go with East One Ancient Yeast Vanished. Um, it came out in Japan only, and then there was some um, kind of remakes and complete versions of it that came out later. Uh, in North America. Well, I was going to say, that one, like the one that people know the most, probably the version that people probably started with, with, with ease in North America would have been ease one and two, which was a a re-release of the first two games um, on turbo graphics. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was like the, the first kind of North American release for that, that people would know about. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I remember they did some sort of compilation, um, I guess in the turbo graphics and also the Sega master system and, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and they commonly misspelled it in the English language release as Y apostrophe S. Yep. 
and gives some some sort of translation issue. Or, well, I mean, or the Y was trying to you know own the rest of the title, Gary. Like they were in possession of it. Yeah, pretty much. You know, the first time I I pronounced this series, I called it Weiss, and I know someone out there in the audience <laughs> corrected me to Yeast. Yeah. And so I said, "Thank you very much for and and I'm sorry for my embarrassment out there." Weiss. Um, That's such a great name. <laughs> exact. Right. Um, so what's different about the E-series? Well, it kind of featured uh, like more of a top-down perspective um, <laughs> of this game. At least that's how it started as, is a top-down perspective in a lot of them. And it features a, like a battle system um, that where you automatically attack and then... Uh, when walking to them, the enemies go like, like kind of bump, you know, yeah. it's like kind of goes off the screen and there's a lot of just like um, kind of reaction to these enemies. Uh, I remember playing like East Origin or whatever. It's like every time I get into these battles, or whatever, there would be a group of enemies in the screen and you're going to need to like bump on the side or the back or whatever. And you have a bunch of different skills um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's kind of like birth, the yeast series itself is this kind of combat system. And then of course it's own lore, uh, behind it. Um, but interesting fact about the first game, Ryan, um, in the Sega master system version, uh, the game dungeons were flipped horizontally compared to the pc version of course they were because of its limitation <laughs> yeah it was like probably like, yeah limitation of the master system which by the way for the folks that don't know uh especially be, knowing their their older consoles the master system was actually more powerful than the nes so the fact that the master yeah. system they had to do it for that like that explains why this game never came to nes was it's just like right it would it would probably wouldn't have even run on that console they would have probably made to do like take some like serious concessions to even get that on there and even then it would probably play it like you know three or four frames per second like hydlide does on nes which is just not fun mm-hmm. or playable so right yeah but but right. yeah that, that's um, why like the master system like it's so interesting when looking back on it because like some mass like the master system wasn't super popular but there there's a lot of really good high quality games there that in a way like look and sound better a lot of times than NES games do. Um, so it's just cool looking back at that era. For sure. Um, and then of course, a lot of sequels came from the yeast series. Of course, I'm not going to go through all of them, but they basically just number off yeast one all the way through nine. Uh, the most recent one yeast nine monster knocks that came out in 2019 Mm -hmm. on the PS4. It's also out on switch and PC. Um, I've also played East Origin on Vita um, and East 8 Lacrimosa of Dana mm-hmm. um, on on Switch as well. Um, both really great games. I like the more recent East uh, games for sure. Um, it has a nice like kind of combat to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I mean, it, I, I'm sure it reminds you of the Tales series a lot, it Ryan. Yeah. Uh, definitely with the action RPG-ness. Um, it, it's really more akin to that those franchises now than it ever was like let's say east origin which is kind of like their original formula for uh the franchise that top down or kind of like it's weird ht it was like an hd 2d perspective with that game yeah. more or less yeah um, they're interesting looking games yeah. and i just want to butt in a little bit now first of all i just want to do a quick correction before we get people uh yelling at us in the combat uh east oh, 9 no. actually came out in japan in 2019 in japan but it came out Sorry. last year 
here in North America, 2021. Um, cause I remember that That's game true. coming out. I was like, wait, year. why is it 2019? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, cause it took two sense. years to get ported Garrett of all things, which is actually quite a, a common occurrence. But also what's interesting about the, the ease games as well, um, is that they all follow one story with one main character and it just continues along. So like yes. each game builds upon the story of the last game. So it's one of those series that, uh, of RPGs that is harder to get into admittedly because you feel, mm-hmm. you almost feel like you got to go back and play a lot of these games. Now, luckily, for example, like ease one and two um, are like really accessible. If you have a PlayStation Vita, because they're actually, uh, they mm-hmm. got PSP ports um, and remakes on those console uh, on that console. And that you can pick up on, up on the digital store, or you can grab like the UMD copy for PSP um, as well as the, mm-hmm. a lot of the other ease games did get remakes on other consoles. Um, but it's mm-hmm. just one of those things where it's like, it is tough to ask for a new person to go back and play nine games. If you, they want to get up, get it caught up with the story for, you know, ease nine monstrum knocks essentially. So that, that's well, what I when to I, okay. Well, when I played East, even East a, I didn't, I mean, like I knew they were kind of connected, but I didn't feel like I needed to yeah. go back to previous one, but may, maybe East nine does. I was going to say, there's a lot um, of callbacks that, uh, in a lot of okay, the games there's callbacks that, that, for sure. that you're definitely, they're just going to fly over your head. Cause you're like, well, okay, sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. It is, but you can probably enjoy them without them. I mean, I mm-hmm. certainly haven't played all the East games. At this point, of course, um, but, but yeah. I still enjoyed my time playing with some of the East titles. I haven't played East nine or anything like that, but I played, you know, East eight and then one and two on, on PSP as well, uh, as nice. well as East seven. So I have played um, some of the games, but not, you know, not all of them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not an East expert, but of all of the three series that we're going to talk about today, it's definitely the one I'm the most familiar with Garrett, as far as um, yes. the most playtime. Cause I, again, I played like, a lot of these games and I, th- I think they're fun. I think they're, they're good games and mm-hmm. you hit the nail on the head where the, like ease really was like the template f- and formula for a lot of other action RPGs at the time. Um, again, it's like stuff like Zelda, for example, probably wouldn't exist if it, if it wasn't mm-hmm. for, you know, the, the dragon slayer games or, you know, the ease games. So it's just interesting kind of yeah. looking back on it. For sure. Um, other like memorable games that um, it could, you, you could play as well as these memories of Celsetta. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't or Celsetta, whatever you call it. I haven't played it, but I know it recently came out on the PS4 and yep. Switch as well. Um, originally came out on Vita. And I think it, that's where it really popularized more with our Vita crowd, yep. our Vita audience. It was a uh, Vita for sure. exclusive then, for a while. But uh yes. Um, yeah, it's so weird, oh, man, Nihon Falcon's so weird. Um, they did, you know, like their first, like maybe 60, 70% of the series on PC mm-hmm. and then like on windows and then like it kind of released in the U S but like so many years later and now they're like releasing games that it released in Japan in like 2008 or something like that. I'm like, what are you doing <laughs> like with your release schedule? But I guess it's just the logistics behind it and just the, I guess the interests of the, the Western audience. I'm glad that they're get, just getting ported over. Also, Garrett, uh, don't for sure. forget, they also made a game for the N-Gage as well. The, the, great, oh, the greatest console of all time because Xanadu oh, Next no. came out on the N-Gage, Garrett. 
that we've talked about the end gauge all the time, uh, like a few times on the show of before. And it, and like the, the time I told Garrett about it uh, originally just famously blew Garrett's mind that that was even a thing that existed. So I had to bring that up because I was, because I also wow. have the, the list of games in front of me, Garrett, while we're going through this. And I just, I saw oh, that no. there. It stuck out to me. I was like, I have to say this. I have to mention it. Of, co- of course. Is there anything on the, what was it? The Swan or the Bandai oh, the Namco Swan? handheld? The Wonder Swan. No, no, I'm no. Sure they didn't do anything on the Wonder Swan. I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't do anything on like the Turbo Express or um, the Atari Lynx or anything like that. But no, they they mostly mm-hmm. stuck with again. They went. They they basically were PC only, and basically until the PSP came out, and then that's kind of when they started really, yeah. um, venturing into consoles. I mean, they did also do um, again some Turbo Graphics stuff and then some Super Famicom stuff. Um, but for the most part, they were pretty much just a PC developer, as you kind of alluded to. Um, but then when mm-hmm. consoles, I think, caught up to, you know, the technology of the stories they were trying to tell, I think that's when that's when they made the switch to mostly covering consoles and also PC. Again, pretty much all of their games have cut out on PC as well. Um, but just yeah. looking at this list, they've they did uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve PSP games. So, so if you know the life of PSP, a that's a lot of PSP games for one developer to do in the lifespan of the five year lifespan of the PSP. So I think that's yeah, pretty cool. But like, I don't know how many I, they have made probably at least, I don't know, like 70, 80 games in these like series or whatever. So even with those like 12 games, like it seems like a lot, but compared to like the rest of they done, oh my goodness, they've done so many. And it kind of like circles back around too, because you see a lot of their games being ported over the Steam um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like whenever there's, I feel like it's a lot with Japanese developers now. It's like once they release it, it'll for sure be on PlayStation and now it'll be for sure on Steam. And then maybe or not Switch, maybe a special edition um, a year later or whatever. All right, Ryan. Um, let's go to the last kind of major series that is kind of, uh, in, uh, that, uh, hold on, sorry, Neon Falcom kind of like covered over mm-hmm. and that is the Legend of Heroes franchise and it actually breaks down and breaking down really to the trail series. That's what they call it. Um, and so the original, uh, Legend of Heroes, like kind of, um, game was of course a dragon slayer game. Yep. It was the sixth entry. And it was The Legend of Heroes uh, 1 and 2. Only the first one came out in English, <laughs> and they never released the second one. Yep. Um, and it came out in Japan in 1989 on, the, of course, the PC-8801. That was their original um, the, hardware. The greatest of all, you know, gaming devices, especially here in mm-hmm. North America. Uh, yeah, right. I, I I didn't really look into this game too much because I really want to talk more about these later games. The the next three games I, I really haven't heard of. Um, they were called the the Gagarf trilogy. Um, and like it, it's basically Legend of Heroes three, four, and five. They like kind of broke out the Dragon Slayer name and just put three, four, and five in there. And but the English name <laughs> totally messed up the convention. Like. It was like three was like five and like four was like nothing. And then five was six. I, I don't even know what they were doing in the English convention there. But essentially in Japan, it was three, four and five. And that was just called the Gagar Trilogy. But of course, what became really famous here in the West was the Trail series, 
um, which started off with the Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky. And so that was the first kind of trilogy there. And then all and then the rest of the series up until now has been part of the trail series, including Trails of Cold Steel, mm-hmm. uh, which they kind of just wrapped up, I think. And then Trails. Um, also, the, there's some other Trails games in there. I don't have them. Yeah, they got uh, uh, Trails they, into Reverie as well as uh, yeah. some other ones. Trails, Trails to Azure and then Trails uh, from Zero. Uh, both of those two are actually getting North American releases finally this year, even though they came out, you know, in 2010, yeah. 2011 originally. But, <laughs> right, uh, they came out so early in Japan. Yeah, but we're it's finally getting them this see. year. So we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about those on the show um, when when yes. when they actually come out, because I'm, I'm actually excited to play those. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. the, the trail series in particular, like Trails of Cold Steel, again, most people who know, you know, Neo Falcom nowadays or just know any of any of these types of games know the Trails of Cold Steel series, because even yes. though I don't think the following for the Trails of Cold Steel series is super huge, it's it's a really dedicated fan base that really it's cares. A passionate about fan base. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. Um, I only played um, Trails of Cold Steel one, like a good chunk of it on my Vita. Um, I really like it. And of course, uh, part of the legacy of Ninhan Falcom, the trail series is all in one universe. Yep. And yeah, you, I feel like this is way more connected than the E series. Like you, you gotta like play like the pre, I heard like you need to play the trails of cold steel and then trails in the sky, then everything else. Like that's like the sequel you should go through. Um, man, this fan base is really hardcore. I, and again, I would love to talk to someone that really kind of dug into the lore behind these games. Um, and so I, I wanted to pick it back up now. I have it on Steam. I have Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And probably the best place to start with the Trails series is Trails of Cold Steel. I would say personally, it's more most accessible. And you could probably start out with the first one and, and be fine. Um, and I would actually prefer it on PC or PS4 just because of the turbo mode that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of speeds up a lot of the dialogue and the scenes and the, you mean to tell me you don't want to want people to break out the PS3 version of this Garrett? Is that what you're trying to say? No, no, I, I'm telling you, you're saving like 10, at least tens of hours. If you, if you play it on at PS4 least tens or, or of on stage, that's a lot at least. Um, I, I heard you skip a bunch once you got turbo mode, you're just fast forwarding a lot and you can grind a lot. But basically this game, the way I, you know, kind of know about it, it's it's just a, well, Trails of Cold Steel. I'm not saying the whole trail series. Um, it's a band of like, uh, like high school students getting together, kind of more akin to like the Persona series and trying to figure out, they just go through an adventure together. They kind of like form bonds and like classes together. And what's the kind of like the major unique part of Trails of Cold Steel is it's combat has a bunch of different combos. It kind of like goes back into the more turn-based route, at least what I can tell. It's and it's like Monarch where it's like you got a freedom range and you kind of like go into certain areas to do um, kind of like major combos with your other characters themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the kind of, um, the atmosphere or the scenery it reminds me a lot of, um, Valkyria Chronicles where it's, it's medieval, it's old, but also has this kind of futuristic mech. Yeah. It's, it's something, it's closer to like medieval steampunk kind of thing. Like that's the kind of, the yeah, medieval because they got trains and sure. all kinds of like steam powered stuff essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's that's basically it for the Legend of Hero series. I do I do have Trails in the Sky as well on Steam. I plan to play all of these games on Steam. 
Um, but yeah, well, Ryan, do you have any experience with the Legend of Heroes or the Trail series? So as I mentioned, I think I've definitely played some of these games, but not a lot. Um, it's definitely one of those mm-hmm. series that is one of the bigger holes in my in my RPG mm-hmm. um, knowledge, especially with, with Trails of Cold Steel. I was kind of waiting for those games to wrap up before jumping into them. And then I think uh, Trails of Cold Steel 4 came out either at the end of 2020 or early 2020 on it. I can't remember exactly when that came mm-hmm. out, but I remember that coming out and be like, oh, it's finally time to play these games. I just haven't gotten around to them because we've had, you know, a lot of stuff to do between that, you know, then and now. But uh, I've heard nothing but great things about them. And I they are on my list eventually. But I know, like, when I start these games, Garrett, I'm going to have to, like, make enough time to go through all four of them, essentially. Um, that's kind of Basically. like, that's kind of the issue uh, going into it. But it's, it's more just trying to plan time, you know, to play all four of these games. But um, again, what I've played, like I, I've played a lot of the first one. I played, you know, like 20 hours of the first one and really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun game. And again, it, like you said, it, it's similar to, you know, Persona or Monarch where you, again, it's got like kind of the high school aesthetic, aesthetic um, but then you, it's a little more strategic in its combat in the, the way that we talked about with Monarch. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to, the kids go to like a military school. They're not really like, it's yeah, not really like a standard school. high school. It's not like Persona where, you know, you're walking around this town and, uh, you know, interacting with the townsfolk and doing other stuff like or or doing a lot of the day to day stuff that you do in Persona anyways. It's it's a different style of game, but also it's it's also uh, really similar when you look at the history of this versus something like Persona, because, again, it's an offshoot of another series that is yes. like diff- pretty different from it essentially so it's just it's it's interesting to kind of look at it from from that perspective but it, that's definitely a series mm-hmm. that i do need to get to at some point but again mm-hmm. for all, from all i all, all i played i i know i would enjoy these games but the time commitment's a lot <laughs> if that, that's the little downside of of these legend of heroes franchises like when, you, when you're getting to and someone's gonna ask which game to get into it's like well you can start with legend of or, or trails of cold steel uh three on the switch if you want to start on the switch and it's just like why, why did you why didn't you put any more Trails of Cold Steel games earlier on one system. Well, it made it very complicated for sure. These games, as as Ryan said, it's it's not for the newcomers. It's like you yeah. got to make sure you have time commitment and make sure that you're willing to just get into it from the like really from the beginning, at least like part one of a trilogy or part one of a four game, which is Trails of Cold Steel. Um, but I just heard nothing but great. It, it's like the, like the, from software people that, that are just really in it yeah. and like giving their impressions. Like they're just so excited about it. I, I see that in, in the, in this audience as well, just talking about this endlessly, um, that these games are really, really good and they're meant for the hardcore RPG fan, JRPG fan. Yeah. And I mean, um, it, when we say a hardcore JRPG fan, it doesn't mean these games are difficult because i think that they're not especially if you play the ps4 and pc versions like you talked about garrett there's a lot of you know features that help newcomers jump into these games so even if you don't um like want if you don't want the combat to be you know too difficult you can play the game on easy and it actually is like really easy then um so you don't have to worry about it too much so i actually think it's actually like to your point i think it's probably a good place to start which brings in a question that I, that I wanted to, to save here. This comes to us from Kevin Ainsworth at the Muffin Mon on Twitter, who asks the question, mm-hmm. as someone that hasn't tried, the, hasn't tried um, any Nihon uh, Falcom RPGs, which series would you recommend he starts with? The E-Series 
or the trail series? And if so, which game? So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, if you were going to start with the trail uh, series, I'm, I'm in agreement with Garrett where you should start with, you know, trails of cold steel. If you're going to go down that route. And likewise, if you're mm-hmm. going to start with ease, I think you're good to start with either ease eight or ease nine. And just go from there. Um, and, Cause yeah. I, I think both those games are really good. And I think they're both good for newcomers, but if I had to choose which one is probably going to be a little more beginner friendly, I think it is probably the ease games um, simply yes. because again, it's, I think it is less of a time commitment to go back and play those games combined with the fact that I think the games are just generally shorter, but beyond that, I think also, I think the combat in the ease games are much more similar to just an action RPG that you would play normal, yes. like a, a Western RPG or something like that. Even They're, they don't go that far in that direction, but it's closer to something like you said, like the Tales series, um, which I think is actually like a lot more approachable than the tactical combat that you find in the trail series. So if I had to say, mm-hmm. Kevin, which series you should start with, I would say probably the ease series be- because of that. And again, I would start with like ease eight or ease nine, depending on what, which one's on sale or if you, or play them both. I mean, you know, make mm-hmm. you buy them both, but Garrett, what do you think about this question? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, um, you know, with Kevin, I, I actually saw his me- messages on Discord and he's been playing Monarch as well and, and really, really enjoying it, mm-hmm. um, at least in our Discord, um, which is fantastic to see. I'm glad he's enjoying it. And, and so if you do like that gameplay, if you do like the um, kind of turn-based but also free-range combat, I think Trails of Cold Steel executes it much better than monarch i think it does a really good job of really just the combo between all the companions together there's a lot of um systems behind just the placement of certain soldiers and their classes um there's a like like xenoblade chronicles there's just a lot of lines going between back and forth between enemies and and um friendly units um i i did enjoy uh all the battles that I played in Trails of Cold Steel. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, if you really want to get into a franchise and you love that combat, I would definitely recommend Trails of Cold Steel. Um, I would recommend either playing on PS4 or on Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a Vita and if you want to go out there and grab a physical copy or buy it digitally, go for it. It's not like a bad version. It's just um, you won't be able to fast forward in a lot of different places. Yeah, because the Vita um, version was essentially a port of the PS3 and, and PSP yeah. version. So it just doesn't have a lot of the benefit of a lot of the, of the extra features they put in the PS4 version. For sure. Um, but I do agree with you, Ryan. The, for anyone out there that wants to get into these franchises, I would totally recommend the Yeast series first. I think it's more approachable, especially... Um, action rpg oriented Mm -hmm. it's a lot of mashing buttons and it's really fun flashy animations and i think people would be really familiar as like with the tales series it's just like Mm -hmm. going through that formula and it it really is like a i wouldn't say a carbon copy but like if i gave a yeast game like a later yeast game and a later tales game um to a non-rpg non-gamer they probably wouldn't tell the difference (laughs) really they it's it's really that close um so yeah there you go that's that's my impressions of of the franchises there also one thing i want to throw out there as well and 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 this comes back to the e-series as well is if you're unsure about you know whether you should buy them right away both e's eight and nine have demos on both ps4 and switch so you can try them there as well and i i think one of the later 
Trails of Cold Steel games has a demo. Um, but then so you can get maybe get a sense of the combat, I guess. But obviously you don't want to dip too far into the story if you're going to, you know, ex- you know, go through the whole series. But that's another way, you know, to figure out if these games are for you, if you don't want to if you're unsure whether or not to, to plunk down some of the money for some of these games. Um, although the ease games, I'm not going to lie, they go on sale all the time. Like right now, while we're talking all the time, like ease eight, for example, is $20 on PS4. So there's that. That's that just an easy entry right there. Yeah. I, I remember getting it on switch and I'm like, this yeah. is, and, and it's, you get a lot of value out of it mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Um, Charles of Cold Steel, they, it goes on sale quite often. I I've seen one and two, Go as low as like 20 bucks each as well. well not on, only that, on but Steam I think I, to, to throw a wrench into your whole suggestion, Garrett, they have Trails of Cold Steel on PlayStation now, but it's the PS3 oh. version. <laughs> oh, no. You're going to have to stream it in like, uh, no, that's probably not a good version to go. No, probably not <laughs> the way you want to go with that, but uh, it, it is there. It's an option if you want to if you want to go down that route. But uh, so at this point, then. Uh, what I wanted to kind of talk about uh, to kind of round out our conversation then. First of all, Garrett, thank you for so much for for putting together the, the yes. fun facts, even though we went all out. You went so all out with the fun facts. We're like 45 minutes into this show. Oh, with fun I'm facts. sorry. I wanted again. Let oh, me no, tell you. It's okay. I, I love how detailed you went with them. So totally cool. But uh, it's a major. Company. I, I just wow. noticed that. I was like, holy crap. We've been recording for 45 minutes now. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, the, the, the thing I want to talk about, just looking at the, the list of games now that the company does at this point, they're really just, you know, the house of ease and, and legend of heroes. And they don't really make anything else at this point. Like the last game that they had that wasn't, you know, a legend of heroes game or East game was Tokyo Xanadu, which came out in 2015. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, like the last game that they had before that, that was, it wasn't in any of those two series was, uh, 2008, nines brandish the dark revenant on the psp and we didn't even mention brandish but that's one of their other major franchises as well yeah so so so, so, so what i'm getting at is like do you think that they're going to continue to make legend of heroes games and uh ease games forever or do you ever think they're going to like branch off and maybe make a new franchise of some kind or, or do something else or maybe even like return to some of their older games. Cause as you alluded to Garrett, they have a lot of franchises that are kind of just sitting there that they don't, they don't make games for anymore. So, so what do you think? No. About that? Where, where do you think the future lies for Nihon Falcom? I don't know, man. They're so elusive. They're, they're really just beating the drum on the East and the trail series right now. And I think until, okay, people are getting bored of this or sales are dipping down out of our small base here. We're going to have to spin off to something else. Um, I think they're just going to keep at it. Uh, Ryan, I think it's just, they are comfortable at what they do. And it's very easy to tell with all of their sequels and spinoffs that they've done for the past 40 years, Mm -hmm. 37 years, ever since their first action RPG. It's kind of crazy to think about, um, so yeah, I think they're just, and, and as you know, their founder said, like they're story driven first, like if they ever release a new franchise, it's not because of the new graphics or whatever, it's just going to be, they want to tell a new story right? and they want to have a brand new kind of lore behind that. And of course, what they anticipate from that is multiple sequels and multiple generations of those sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're just being the beat of their own drum and they don't care. 
they are not out there to be successful or to be huge as, you know, their counterparts there, their competitors did in Japan. They're just not like that at all. So they're just going to keep on doing what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of expecting. But I don't know. I would love like I don't. And we talked about this one on the From Software episode, but I always get a little bit sad when we talk about some of the some of these companies and they're really just laser focused on one or two franchises when when a lot of times we see that mm-hmm. um because you know it was so much easier to develop you know games on the pc or um you know early NES and super famicom kind of days um where you mm-hmm. didn't need like giant teams or you know billions of dollars to develop games um you got to see a lot more experimentation with games or or just see them try all a different a bunch of ideas like Again, looking at their their library of games that they worked on over the years, it's just so interesting. It's such an interesting contrast looking at the their first like twenty years and like how many different types mm-hmm. of experiences they had versus kind of the last like fifteen years of what they've done essentially, where it's like you know such a stark contrast between each other. So I would love to see mm-hmm. them kind of branch out and do other stuff. I know that that's probably that's not their style, and you know they're probably not going to do that. But um, I would love to see what else, what other ideas they have, and maybe like what other universes mm-hmm. they could tell stories in and, and do so much. Cause they, they do, like you said, Garrett, they, they focus so much on the story that I almost, I almost wish they were there. They were willing to take more risk with stories and, or do like something completely different with a lot of their stories. But, but also the legend oh, yeah. of heroes universe does have a lot of room to play in. Um, be, because again, like the, the, tra- the trails of cold steel games, for example, are a lot different than trails of the sky because they take place in different locations and stuff like right. that too. So that does play into it a little bit, but. Uh, I don't know. I guess that's this just one of the rants that you you could probably expect from someone like me um, when when, I, when we see stuff like this. Especially, at least they're not as bad as you know when we were talking about Monolith Soft that only makes Xenoblade Chronicles and nothing else at this point. So. And just only Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, so. <laughs> they're making their third one this year. Can't wait, but oh boy, yeah. we we sort of predicted that one. <laughs> it wasn't really hard to predict that one, Garrett. Yeah. Oh boy. But uh, I don't know. That, I think that was a good conversation. But we should bring in some listener questions, Garrett, because we reached out to For the community sure. and asked them what they wanted to know about Nihon Falcom. And we're going to start with Matt Sawinski from the PlayStation Drive over at Burnout Matt on Twitter. He asked the question, what does the Trail series need to do to take it to the next level like Tales of Arise did last year? And I think the answer to this actually Andrew Semichek on Twitter stole my answer for this because uh, he actually he basically kind of replied to Matt about this. But I think they need to totally like I mean, don't get me wrong. They kind of do almost like a, a, a franchise reboot in a way when they go to like a different offshoot of the series, like get, when they get outside, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the Trails of Cold Steel games, for example, like with these some of the other games, they, they have a different feel to them. But I think they need to do like a complete overhaul system, uh, overhaul to yes. the combat system and maybe make it more refined and whatnot. I think that's more what they need to do or just neon Falcom games for, for all the things that we like about them. The one thing that they will always get dinged on in reviews is their visuals. And I think a lot of, obviously a lot yes. of that comes down to, you know, how many people work at these studios. Like obviously there aren't nearly as many people at, Beyond Falcom today, as there are even working at just the mainline Tales studio at Bandai Namco, because Bandai Namco is just such a bigger company. Um, right. But it's just one of those things where 
what I think really makes the Tales games, for example, stand apart is they have they work with companies like UFO Table that to help them with the animation process. Um, and they, they have like really fantastic in-game art um, and, and character models and whatnot. And the environments just feel, you know, so much more interesting to explore versus, you know, the trails of games. Because even though I think, you know, Neon Falcom does the best they can with them. Um, they're, they're just that one step behind their competitors when it comes to that stuff, which again, carkens to what Matt's kind of asking about. So that's what I think. I mm-hmm. think they really just need to, even if they don't re like reinvent the wheel with the combat, I think they just need to, you know, try and, uh, maybe expand a little bit and try and do some more with the visuals for some of these games. But Garrett, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I definitely agree with you, Ryan. They definitely need some sort of level up with the, the graphics department. They can't really do. Uh, much more um, than they already have with like their manpower. So I, I kind of want to suggest some sort of like different art style, maybe like a HT2D version, maybe to like cut out some time, maybe even just go back to a 2D art style, kind of mess around if they can even go back into those type of games. I understand they've been out of it for quite some time, but like if they keep going with this, I don't know, the 3D art graphics. Um, it, it was fine during the PSP and the Vita version or eras, but um, now with um, even PC and PS4 and even on Switch, it just doesn't look, it looks pretty dated. Um, yeah. It doesn't look quite as good. Even like the Yeast series looks really good compared to the Trail series. So I, I'm wondering if they just need to leverage a little bit more I don't know, like fluidity and like a little bit just more touch up on their character models or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I would just suggest that it would be nice to have a Tales of Arise type of reboot of some kind. That'd be really cool to see and just like ex- like get rid of the switch and like go for it. But I just don't think they have the capacity to do that. They'll have to outsource that if they really want to do a bigger project. Well, the funny thing that about yeah. what you were talking about, Garrett, is that with Ease 9 in particular, they almost kind of dig that, which is why that game looks so good. Because with the Switch, yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but when the Switch version of Ease 9 came out, it, like it ran awfully on, on Switch. It like, was it ran rough. like 20 frames per second. Like they had to in, in, throw in a bunch of patches to fix that game. And, and now it actually runs fine on Switch, but it's still like it runs way better. It looks way better on PlayStation 4. Um, so like it almost felt like mm-hmm. the Switch was kind of like an afterthought for that game in particular. Um, so I'm really interested to see where they go from here, what the, what their next new games are. Cause again, these two new trails of games that we're, we have coming out this year are ports that had already come out already. So these aren't really new entries. Right. So like, I wonder what, what their next new experience is really going to look like. And cause I think that's maybe where it needs the most work, but mm-hmm. next up we got brew at brew pounder on Twitter who asked the question, and uh, Garrett, you'll probably have more to say about this one, maybe to me. But uh, St- Sarah Valenstein or Claire Rivenvelt from the Trail series, which which do we prefer? Do we have do we have a favorite between these two characters, Garrett? On, I'm I'm looking this tweet up real quick. I I because he did he did uh, attach photos, which he did. thank you, Brew Pounder for. For doing that, so we can have um, I was a good say, comparison between the I two. Rem- I remember looking at the photos and was reminded of this. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Claire. You know, she's she she's oh, hip, you going with she's Claire? Okay. She's got the blue hair. I mean, come on, got the blue hair. What, what else? Okay, you sounds good. Um, Sarah Valstein was. I think she was like, yeah, she was the first teacher of mm-hmm. uh, the Charles of Cold Steel, and she's dope. She is just like like a super like powerful personality, very confident. 
Um, I really enjoyed Sarah um, a lot in that game. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to go with Sarah. Thank you for, nice. for, for that question. For sure. Now, we also got two other questions this week, Garrett, that have literally nothing to do with Neon Falcom, but we're going to we're going to go through Good. them anyways, because I did. Uh, we always put out the poll, like if, if people want to ask, you know, generic RPG questions as well, um, we'll definitely take those as well and answer them, such as from DJ Cox at Delvin Cox on Twitter. We know him. He asked the question, kind of what RPGs do you both recommend for people who aren't into RPGs to try? Mm. So one of the ones we've talked about not not too long ago garrett was was tales of arise i think that's one that is you know oh, that's a big really one, yeah. approachable for for newcomers especially like when we got sean to play that game who's not really super into rpgs and just talking about he came away loving that game um i think that's actually like a really good game an mm-hmm. rpg that that like it will get people into rpgs that don't really like rpgs already um even though just like uh i think another one is fire emblem i mean if you like you know, mm-hmm. strategy games at all outside of like role playing games themselves. Then I think, you know, a game like Fire Emblem Awakening, for example, will be up your alley. Like it's, it's super beginner friendly and it's just an amazing game on top of that. So um, those are kind of my two. Um, mm-hmm. and, and of course, you know, Final Fantasy's out there as well. It's fairly mainstream. And I do think there's a lot of entry points there, even though, you know, you know, there's 15 mainline entries in Final Fantasy and it's almost like just like where the heck do you start with Final Fantasy? But because all the games are kind of one off games, you can almost start with any one of them. And I would say at that point, try Final Fantasy seven remake because it might be up your alley mm-hmm. as well. And I do think that one's also, you know, really good for newcomers in, in the same way that something like, you know, Tales of Arise was. So those are kind of my mm-hmm. three picks for, for you, Delvin. But uh, Garrett, what do you think about Delvin's question? All right, well, I'm going to add a little bit on the turn-based area. I actually recommend out of all the Pokemon games right now, if you told me you what game should you choose, I think I recommend Pokemon Legends Arceus. That game got me hooked on Pokemon again, and I, I it's actually unbelievable. I uh, It's like reinvigorated my love for the Pokemon franchise, um, and it is very close to, let's say, um, it's like a monster hunter formula kind of just mixed in with Pokemon together and just made this wonderful game. Um, it's very open world. Yes. Of course the graphics department, not that great. Yep. Um, draw distance is like very, very small. Although Garrett, um, you but- say this, you say this, but literally I was playing Elden Ring this week on Xbox series X and it literally did the same thing that Art Legends Arceus did with like grass popping and stuff like that. Except it's on Xbox Series X of all consoles. So just saying, wow. you know, they, I, I think there's, you know, maybe maybe that's more common than we than we think. Maybe it's just not a Pokemon mm-hmm. Legends Arceus thing. Yeah, so I I definitely recommend that. I also, you know, if you're really more into the turn-based stuff and you're itching for a really long game, I mean, Persona Five Royal Man. That's yep. one of the pinnacle. Um, and if you're at least like going into it, let's say 20 hours, I think that's really satisfying of a turn-based game, at least going through a couple of dungeons, not going through like, you know, all the 150 hours that you can in that game. Yeah. Um, definitely recommend that. And also, of course, I will always recommend this Skyrim. It is literally everywhere. You can play it on your fridge, Delving. You can play it on Amazon Alexa if you want. Um, you could probably play it on your watch somewhere. So it's in cross play, you know, cross progression everywhere. 
So I, I mean, Garrett, go. they no, also just, have Elder Scrolls on the end gauge. So if you've got an end gauge lying around, oh goodness, <laughs> that's two end gauge references in one episode. This episode's clearly cursed. I, I but, couldn't believe it. But also go, also go play Elden Ring. That game's really good as well. So cool. last question of the week comes to us from Dave Brooks at Dave Brooks with, with two V's at the end. I don't, I don't know how that works. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He asked the question, what is the deal with LX2? I look forward to your siege-like answers. So, Garrett, do you know anything about LX2? Because I didn't I've before this it. question came in. I've seen Alex the game title um, sparingly and on my PlayStation Plus and on my sales all the time. Who is this made by? Is it made by Spiders? It's or made is it by some Piranha other? Bytes. They made the Piranha Gothic Bites, games and the Ri- Risen games. Yeah, so that's another niche um, franchise that makes off these 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 lower tier. I you you could say they are the um, B tier kind of um, mid tier type of development. Um, but I I don't know I don't know what's the deal with Elx two. Do you know what the deal with Elx two is, Ryan? I mean, it came out this year, and uh, <laughs> people seem to, to think it's okay. But uh, no, oh, I, I okay. mean, um, I don't really like the. The, the other games that this developer makes. So I was just not like, you know, jump, but chop it up the bit to play this one. If that makes any sense. Okay. Um, but we also didn't talk about it in our like games of 20, like uh, of the year for RPGs. Um, when we did kind of our like uh year long preview, just cause for whatever reason, this right? just, you know, missed my radar of, you know, game releases this year, or it probably just wasn't on the list that I, um, used to kind of put that, that show together. Um, so I did miss that one, but, uh, I can tell you, mm. Garrett, I don't know if you saw this week, this week, cause I'm going off on a tangent with this one. Um, Go did, for it, did man. you see, did you see the, the Metacritic rating reviews for, uh, I tell you Sophie two that, that came out this week. That yeah, game's apparently really good. Yeah. So I, I, that's on my fantasy league. Oh PSVG, man. So. I was like, I was debating picking it with Sean this year when we did our trophy room versus the Xbox drive, but we didn't end up going Mm -hmm. with it. I'm kicking myself now for not going with it. Yeah. That game of birth is a pretty good one. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the Um, highest rated Atelier games. It's like only behind, you know, Atelier Ryza two, essentially. They're really nailing it lately with these Atelier games, man. They're, um, I, I think they nailed down a formula just like the tales with tales of arise. They, Mm. The Atelier Ryza, Ryza 2, and now Sophie 2. It's yeah. it's doing pretty good. Yeah, so I, th- I think their turning point was like them. was with, with Fairy Tale, I think was kind of the turning point. Yeah. Like that was like the game from them that that I saw that when when looking at reviews, like it's the first one to really get in kind of like the mid-tier 80s, and then it just they've been on a roll ever since, I think. So it's pretty For cool sure. to see a gust actually coming out there and doing some cool stuff. So I had to bring that up too. Cause mm-hmm. of course, you know, um, it, it came out the same week as Elden ring, but no one is giving Italian Sophie two, you know, the time of no day. One. Um, but we'll, we're going to do that, Garrett, cause we'll talk about it here. Even we though will. neither of us have played it, we'll at least mention it and, and uh, give it a shout out. Whereas Alex two, unfortunately, I'm sorry, uh, Dave, I, I just haven't really figured any information out. And I saw the que- this question came in a little bit late. So I just have, didn't have time to look into, into it much, unfortunately. Right. And, well, I just feel like, you know, we can go into these, you know, in an, in an episode, these RPG franchises that you would never, ever talk about unless you're really into the gaming verse. Like I'm talking, what's the other one that I'm I'm thinking of that's pretty good made by spiders? 
Oh man, it's the colonial game oh. um, that they made. Oh gosh, I, 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 it's gonna, it, it's gonna really rage. A spider uh, game. On, I'm, I'm looking at. It While you looked it up, I will say, you know, eventually we got, we got to talk about the Lufia games. We got to talk about, you know, Illusion of Gaia. Yeah. We got to talk about, you know, Popful Mail. We got to talk about all kinds of weird franchises that, you know, we wouldn't hear many, many shows talking about at some point. Right. Yeah. The Spiders made Sherlock Holmes. Greedfall. That's it. Greedfall. They made Technomancer as well. And so they, they're all, they, they're also, I think that B tier mid-tier development type of RP. I mean, they make other games, but they do make RPGs. And I heard Greedfall was pretty good. Um, yeah, so, it was yeah, on PlayStation Plus for a while. So most people probably mm-hmm. have it and they, they just never actually opened it or tried it. But anyways, right. Garrett, that's probably it for the show. Now that we're, we're in the weeds a bit, we should probably wrap this up. But before we go, Garrett, plugs sure. go. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter at Bland Explosion. And then you can also find me at the Nintendo Shack, which is a Nintendo podcast, part of the Play Some Video Games podcast network. And we're released, you know, on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, everywhere. And we're live Thursday nights weekly at twitch.tv slash PSVG. Very nice, my friend. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Turford. You can find us on Twitter at Yumi Capriz on YouTube at youtube.com slash Yumi Capri and on podcast services around the globe. So, For Garrett Planned, I am Ryan Turford. This has been level 37 of the RPG Cave, and we're out. Bye-bye. The RPG Cave's mana is powered by patrons over at patreon.com slash Capri. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you to our over 70 patrons, starting with our Capremium producers, Dallas Ford, Jonathan Brown, the man behind the music on the Xbox Drive and the Nintendo Drive. You can check out his new album, In My Element, over on Apple Music, as well as his website, and Lee Navarro, the fearless leader of the Phoenix Overdrive Extra Life team. Our platinum producers, Robbie Bobby Miller and Trucker Sloth, and our gold members, Argo, Brandon Myers, Dallas Robbins, Dano, Emily O'Kelly, Foolish Fuji, Joel Brooks, Jose Jimenez, Mac Time, Marcus O'Neill, Mr. and Mrs. Nasty Boots, RJ Kern, Skinny Matt, Tony Baker, and Xavier Reyes. Thank you all for all of your support. And if you're interested in joining the Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash Capri and pick the tier that's right for you.